It's great. It's going to be great. <laughs> All right, ready? So when, whenever you're ready. Put that thing back where it came from, so help me. Bum, 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 so help me, so help me, and bum, cut. Bum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a musical. I guess. Um. <laughs> Welcome to Orion Valley. Hello, film kids. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. Today's a very special episode because it is our very first animated feature on the podcast. I'm talking with my buddy Massimo Giacano to talk about scares, laughs, and everything in between with Pixar's 2001 classic, Monsters, Inc. How's it going, Moss? How you doing? I'm good, Josh. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. This is a very special episode. It's not only your first episode. It's, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, the very first animated film that we have done on this podcast. Let's so, go. congratulations, my friend. I'm honored. <laughs> uh, we're talking about Monsters, Inc., Pixar movie from uh, the early 2000s. Uh, a very popular one amongst our generation because it was kind of in that first wave of Pixar films. Um, and it was your choice. You actually you gave me a couple options, and a lot of them were Pixar films. So I want to know why you why this one was on the list, and what your relationship is to what Pixar. Um, well, I mean, I just love animation in general. I, I've gone on on record multiple times saying I think animated films are like the highest form of film in some ways, just because you can tell stories that you can't tell in live action. Um, with Pixar, especially, it's just ever since I was. Ever since I was oh, probably like even like one or two years old, um, this was the first movie uh, that my brother and I were given. My parents got it for us. Uh, as we grew up, we literally wore the disc out so much that we, <laughs> the copy that we have now somewhere is our third copy of Monsters Inc. Because oh we God. destroyed the disc. We watched this thing on repeat, and just I guess from such a young age, this this film sort of. I mean, I, I, it just made me love Pixar in general. As, and, like, I love animation, but especially Pixar is a special place in my heart. Um, and and I, don't, I don't know, man. It's just... It's, it's sort of one of those things where, like, you love it so much you can't really express it. It's just kind of, like, it's unspoken. It's, mm-hmm. it's not even just this film specifically, because this actually isn't my favorite. It's, like, my third favorite Pixar film. Probably second... Yeah. Fa- no, second favorite Pixar film. I, I rank them all. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Just this is the movie I grew up with, and just this this company especially. Like it's since I was three years old, it's been my dream to work at Pixar, and it's still there. Um, yeah, <laughs> but especially just this movie in general sort of just lit that flame for me, I guess. So it's got a special place in my heart. I love that. I think we all have that one Pixar movie. Um, I, I I also want to go on record and say that because just because we haven't had many an, we haven't had any animated shows on this or uh, movies on this show does not mean I don't love animated movies. I adore animated movies and I always have. I think in certain years there are some movies in the best animated feature category at the Oscars that should be best picture because they're just so damn good and there's only a couple that have done it like Up and Toy Story 3. I know that uh, Monsters Inc 
was uh, an early one for me too. I think I saw it in theaters. I, I could be wrong, but I definitely had the VHS. Um, and I remember I watched it all the time along with a lot of other Pixar movies. Um, like I watched Finding Nemo a lot, uh, all the Toy Stories. Um, there's just something special about that first wave of Pixar films. Uh, the first, the two Toy Story films, A Bug's Life, Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc. Um, and I think, what's the one? Am I, forget, am I forgetting one? Incredibles um, was like, after Nemo, maybe that. Incredibles was always my favorite, and it still is my favorite. I wanted to, like, I actually want to know, what are, what are your top five? Give me your top five Pixar films. Oh, sh- I actually, oh, I ranked them, actually, not too long ago. Uh, Wally is number one. It's my right. favorite movie, in general. Mm-hmm. Um, second is Monsters, Inc., Third is Toy Story 3. Mm-hmm. Four is Incredibles. And five, oh, what the hell? I think five was up. When we started quarantine, like right in the beginning, I made a promise to myself that I would watch all the Pixar movies in a row chronologically and then rank them. I stopped it up because it's like it was like I didn't want to be sad anymore. <laughs> um, but I, I do love up. My So my favorites, the, so the only ones that I haven't seen are, uh, there's actually a few, Brave, you're not Cars missing three. much. Not missing much. Um, uh, the good dinosaur. Definitely not missing much. Yeah, the bottom tier basically. Um, and then the two newer ones, Onward and Soul, I haven't seen yet. <clears throat> Definitely Soul, especially is. I know that's not what we're talking about, but it's it's so good, dude. It's yeah, so good. I've been I've been waiting. I, I really need to get to it. Um, but my favorite Incredibles is uh, is definitely number one. Ratatouille is number two. Um, Inside Out is number three, and then I kind of say Toy Story 2 and 3 are tied it's so tough for me to pick between Mm -hmm. the two of them I I go back and forth all the time Um, and then Finding Nemo was even though Finding Nemo is directly linked to my fear of the ocean I still really love that movie Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and it was always an event it's always an event of a Pixar movie coming out because they always usually also come out around my birthday of like the which is June 21st they always come out like around the first weekend of summer which is super exciting and it's fun to hear like each person having their own different attachments to certain Pixar movies like Monsters Inc was never a favorite of mine I always really liked it but it's never like Monsters Inc is my dead on favorite but the more I watch it especially this last rewatch last night there were so many like different things that I found like especially the balance between the um child's like the appealing to kids storytelling and the adult themes and you could say that about literally any Pixar movie and I think that's one thing that really makes them that they push the boundaries that they appeal to kids but don't make kids feel dumb they treat them as mature beings which is really special that's like my thing where whenever when there when there are some people who say like a Pixar movie and like oh it's just a kids movie it's like sure maybe it's more of like a family oriented movie but that doesn't take away from like the quality of the film I guess or like the gen like how genuine the stories are and like how deep the stories are trying to tell um and just like I don't know how how wild and creative especially in this sort of like from Toy Story to hell even like up like just the amount of for that like 15 year period just the amount of creativity just flowing out of these people's minds at Pixar is 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 incredible and I, I one thing it's just interesting whenever whenever I hear people rank Pixar movies because mm-hmm. my problem with it is like after like there you know there's always like your top three that are like definitely your favorites but then it's just so hard to rank the rest because they're all uh-huh. so goddamn good the mm-hmm. other minus like a few of them but um, most of them are just like 
they're they're just so they're they're so well made and they're so ah this is you know that's how I feel yeah. about about all pretty much all Pixar movies. Yeah, their track record is great. Like the ratio from good movies to bad movies is pretty. Like it's pretty good. Like I would say of the ones that I have seen, like my least favorites are like like Cars when I watched it in quarantine. Like I remember liking it as a kid, but when I rewatched it, I was like, this has really well-made shots, but it's a very mediocre, uninteresting movie. Like just because it's just Cars. Like and even but even some of the sequels, like like even Finding Dory, which I don't think is really all that great, I still enjoy it. And there's some interesting things that that movie does. We can talk about Monsters University too. I love um, Monsters. I think I think it's so slept on. I think people hate I on that way it way too much. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I think it's great. Um, but yeah, they're they're a reliable company. They um, they're a, a group of well, amazing animators, amazing actors because they have to know the facial expressions. They are just huge movie nerds. There are so many individual references to other movies, especially in this one. There's a lot of good references in Monsters Inc. to other movies, um, and they have they're just amazing with music too. Like their scores, like Randy Newman, and then later on Michael Giacchino is just incredible. And the original songs that they have for each uh, for each movie, especially in the early years, there's so many things going on. They put in so much care and detail into every single movie. Yeah, I mean. You basically personify it. It's just as a company, I look at them and like, obviously some, you know, I just look and like, it's hard, it's hard to not look at Pixar as like the premier animation company. It's like, it's not, you can just look at the quality of their animation. Like look Mm -hmm. look at, you know, Toy Story 4 even. It came out in 2019, but like the film looks basically photorealistic like the quality of the animation itself not even just like how well animated the characters are and how like you know well designed all the characters just the environments in general and it just their the quality of the animation coming out from this company is insane but also like, like i said earlier the quality of like the storytelling and the quality of the casting too it's one thing it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of films that have a good story but they just miss on the casting pixar has done such a good job at like getting the right people for the right roles, and I think Monsters Inc is definitely um, a, a personification of that. Yeah, absolutely, and it's cool to see a lot of the earlier ones too. The fact that the animation, safe for I would say, like there are some moments in in Monsters Inc where I was like, okay, that looks a little dated, but overall, the majority of their films still just hold up am- amazingly in terms of their animation. And like, I think the obviously the one that has aged maybe the worst is the first Toy Story movie because like when you watch that, you can see it was the obviously it was the first computer generated movie. Not that it doesn't look doesn't look good but it very clearly is like they made this in 1995 this was the first movie that did this and there's there's some creepy imagery in that movie with the the faces (laughs) um but for the most part they're timeless movies and um they're they're also really good i think what sets this movie apart monsters inc in particular um what i thought was interesting watching it last night was that a lot of the movies before this were like let's pair these two unlikely people together and see like you know buzz and woody um marlin and dory like you and um you know people who need to be the leaders um like fleck in uh, bugs life these are people who are like the who have to rise up and you know do what's right and have to go out on this journey um because of but this movie is a workplace drama <laughs> that takes place in the span of 24 hours, basically, which I didn't honestly put together. And 
these these two characters, Mike and Sully, they're already friends. Like they already like each other, and then they're just put in this situation where they're not they're not really leading anything. They're not like uh, looking after a group of people necessarily. They're just oh shit, there's this kid. We got to get it back, and we are kind of like oh we shouldn't be in this situation, but we are. Um, and I, I never it never I never realized that until last night, which is I think is kind of the hidden genius of this movie. I think the the the. I was watching a lot of like the behind the scenes stuff just to see like the processes and also what the actor said. I, they, there's this one clip of John Goodman. He repeatedly he just refers to Mike and Sully as like they're just two working day Joes. You know, mm-hmm. it's just when when Pixar went to make this movie, they looked at like monsters. They're not scary, you know, and they looked at like scaring as their job. And like you said, like putting in the whole sort of workplace where it, it's it's just such um. Such an interesting approach to take things where it's like monsters are also scary and they're like, and yeah, but you just look at Mike and Sully and it's like if you put them in human bodies, they just they're they're just people, you know. And it's one thing I didn't I didn't even realize you brought it up was uh, the fact that it takes place over a day. It feels like it's longer, but it's just twenty four hours. I also li- I realized that. Um well, were you ever scared of any monster in this movie? Like when you were a kid, where there's there ever one monster that you're like, oh, I don't, I don't like looking at that. Like for me, they were always because of their personas and the voice acting. I was like, I like these people. These are like friends, you know. I think when I was little, like Waternoose sort of like freaked me out a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But like the rest of them, not really. It's like they how- put him in a vest though, so yeah, you kind of exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, none of them are really none of them are really that scary to me. Yeah, I think because they the way that they also made their their faces, mm-hmm. the, the they're all of the monsters' facial structures are very much modeled after people and like other various like stereotypes or uh, personas that you see in like an average workplace. I I always love the woman in the beginning who's like you know Mister Bile, could you tell me what you did wrong? And she's like this very like it's Bonnie Hunt, so it's like she has this great like almost. Um, uh, managerial voice and presence about her and the way that they have her face is like her eyes are like all the way up here like above her head so it's like they, they just like were able to um, they and this Pixar does this in every movie pretty much is like finding little moments within the workplace or in the world to be like this is something that humans do but let's do, make monsters do it let's make cars do it let's make bugs do it you know and you could find that in any movie that they do yeah, I mean, putting it in, again, it was, it was, um, literally what you basically just said, like seeing these elements of the workplace and like seeing monsters do it. It was one of the things, like, I, Pete Doctor, the director, um, he mentioned, he was like, when they were brainstorming, like, how funny would it be if we just saw like monsters doing, mon- like, clocking out or like going for a lunch break or, it, I think, and it's just like, it's, it's sort of, I don't know, like, it's kind of like I said, if you put the, if you just put humans in here, um, instead of monsters, the story would, I mean, okay, maybe the story wouldn't make sense. I'm scaring kids. Doesn't really, doesn't really work, but it's just the whole workplace <laughs> setting. Um, but no, I mean, it's just like, it's so, it's so smart. I think like it's in, it works. It just like, you don't know. I, I haven't met a single person who's seen this movie and be like, no, the whole like, mo- no, there doesn't, it, it just works. Unbelievable. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't it know. Does, yeah. Yeah. I think with the one of the other cool things that they do that Pixar did, especially in the um, the earlier years, it's like Toy Story and this one are the two main ones where it's like they took a very 
clear aspect of childhood. Toy Story is playing with toys. Bugs Life, you know, playing outside with bugs. In Monsters, Inc., it's, you know, the being afraid of monsters. But then they took this other spin on it and be like, okay, so what if your toys came to life? Like, what if you they're, they're not looking? And what if there's this whole backstory when you're not outside? What do the bugs do? And then what if, you know, what are the monsters in the closet? Like, what's their deal? Like, it's a very mature way of thinking about these. Chi- and there's obviously, like, big themes of childhood fear and uh, just growing up in general. You can find growing up in any of Pixar films. But I love the turn that they do in all of um, in all of their movies of this aspect that you've probably thought of at one point or another. Like, where does this idea of monsters in the closet come from? Like, what's their deal? And they explored that in a very... Um, and took us very... Uh, not formulate, but um, scene format of storytelling before, and applied it to it, and it's very exciting. Like it's very fun, and it's and it's uh, ingenious to do that, and taking something that a child like experiences daily and flips it on its head, um, and it makes it easier, obviously, for kids to see this movie. I, I personally never really had any monsters in my closet. I was just kind of afraid of the dark space of my closet. Like, it wasn't really like, I, there's a monster that's going to pop out at me. Mm-hmm. Like, did you ever have that as a kid? No, I mean, I kind of was the same thing. I never really thought there was, like, a monster in the closet. I was more just, like, the dark kind of kind of freaked me out, mm-hmm. uh, but not really, like, any monsters, I guess. Gotcha. Okay. But you know what I mean? Like, I love that they did that with those first, like, few films. Um, and they, I think Pete Docter kind of got back to it later on with, um, with Inside Out, which is amazing. Um, but just thinking of, like, you know, what are the emotions inside our heads? Like, personify them, but then also, like, show what a kid is going through in mm-hmm. this very specific stage in her life. It's, yeah. it's so great. I love Pete Doctor. I love all of his films. I don't want to comment on Inside Out because I have like a hot take. But um, I, I remember when when they first like announced it and they gave us like the synopsis. I was freaking the hell out. Goes mm-hmm. after like sequels and pre. We can finally get like an original idea. Pete Doctor's behind this, and you know what kind of track record he has. And it was just like, it was such a crazy idea. It was like, yes, this is Pixar. And then I saw the movie and I thought it was kind of boring and average. But oh, really? <laughs> and, um, yeah, I just, I mean, the characters are all great and the, the, just the concept is amazing. It person, it just, I just think it's, it's a perfect, perfect for Pixar. I just think the, the execution was a little. Interesting, interesting. Okay, okay. I won't argue uh, with you about it, but I, I okay. I won't argue um, with people <laughs> who like it. It's just a personal yeah. opinion. Uh-huh. No, I feel you. It is a hot take. Um, before we get into the, to the critical breakdown... I feel like there's been this kind of discourse recently about animated movies, or maybe it's just my perception of the last 10 years or so, that, like you said, it's just an animated movie. It's just for kids. Like, um, and, you know, it's how, how can I take it seriously? It's just, it's just making these big themes a little bit more colorful and kind of down to earth. Mm-hmm. That's how I've always seen it. And I, have fun, and I can easily tell when an animated movie is just for children or it's just supposed to be for, for fun. But, you know, I'm kind of a child at heart, so I can still kind of get lost in things like that. Um, so, like, are, are you able to do that? Like, are, are you a child at heart or you do, do you try and look at, like, most animated films critically? Like, what, do you th- what is your mindset when you go into an animated movie? Maybe it's a new one or you're revisiting an old one. You know, I think as I've grown up, um, I've become a little bit more critical of movies as a whole. I'm not like, I don't sit down and watch something and just try to, you know, write every note down that I hate, but it's like, you know, I'm able to analyze a film and, um, you know, there's films that I love that I know aren't very good films, but I love them. And like my, it's yeah. But, um, I think where this fits for me is just, 
you know, back back in 2001, 3D animation especially wasn't, you know, super common. Pixar, obviously, you know, they, they led the way with the first two Toy Stories and Bugs Life, and this was their fourth release. And then DreamWorks came along, they did Ants, but then they had Shrek in the same year, so it's like... And I love that film, too, like, to death. It's just, oh, I, yeah. I think this, I mean, this film in general for me, um, it's kind of, it just fits in there as, like, I, th- I think nowadays um, the reason the sort of, like, animated films are just for kids uh, mantra comes up is because there's so much just, like, garbage that comes out that's just an animated movie. <laughs> like, it's yeah, just, it's I true. think it's because Very as true. animations become sort of cheaper to do and easier to do, these, like, studios can just throw out these crappy movies and, like, slap a celebrity on it. It'll make some money and, like, the kids will watch it. The parents hate it. But I think just Monsters, Inc. especially, um, it's just, like, it takes everything... It's not even just, like, a good animated film. It's just a good movie in general. Mm-hmm. And when I watch animated films, especially Pixar movies nowadays, it's, like, I have an expectation. And I think... I, I feel like I'm not the only one who, like... who If you love animation and you love Pixar, you don't, like, go in and watch Soul for the first time and not expect it to be good, you know? It's, a, it's like, when you... It's a Pixar movie. You know, there's an expected level of quality, and I think... Just that sort of, that comes from, you know, the earliest days where it's like it's 2001. They just made Toy Story six years ago. And then, you know, they're just knocking it out of the park with everything. It just sets the standard. It set the standard so high, I think, just for animation in general, Um, especially 3D animation. And just for me, like, for me, it's sort of like, again, it's it earlier set the bar. More Pixar films would come along and just raise that bar higher and higher. But... It's just like, I don't know, Monster, Monsters, Inc. is just, it's kind of hard to top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think that I, th- there's a lot of cynicism around uh, animated movies and that they themselves like have to... I think it's really hard for an animated movie to really kind of hit... Um, you know, with everybody because there's... The, like you said, there for every good animated movie, for every... For every Monsters, Inc., for every Soul, for every Spider-Verse, there's, like, you know, ten emoji movies. Ten, ten rock normal, dogs, dude. Ten, <laughs> <laughs> ten Cars 2, you know, there's there's so many. Um, and, yes, the primary objective for most animated movies, or at least mainstream animated movies like DreamWorks and Pixar, is that, you know, they want to not only entertain, but they because of their... Their, their appeal is to children. Now, that's that they also try and, like, take the extra step and make it so that everyone can see. Mm-hmm. I think also because a lot of the more popular animated movies are not ones that I would say are some of the best that have come out. Like, you know, say what you want. As a fun movie as it is, Despicable Me is not going to be, like, a, a record-breaking, generation-defining, no. um, like, artistic piece. You know what I mean? It's, it's fun, but, you know, it, there also is a lot of things in that movie that... I don't like because of what it shows for animated movies, like annoying characters. You know, I hate minions. I'm sorry. Don't. I think don't they were me. funny. They were funny the first time around. Once they got around to getting their own movie, I think it was just a little too much. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. But I just think that they're, you know, there's so much more. There's a lot of care and heart, you know, and emotion put into. Like, I haven't really seen a mean spirited animated movie or a, you know, a. a 
quote unquote like dark, like really, or maybe not dark, but like very depressing or um, pretentious animated movie. Mm-hmm. I haven't personally. There's always something like very personal about animators that it because of the care um, and the level of effort that goes into not that like you know obviously the effort goes into every film but with anime movies there's so much more there's they have to take that extra step and really like put so much more of themselves into their own movie with the with the drawings with the ideas that they have to work harder like honestly and I, I tip my hat to anyone who wants to do that um and so you know because of that I just think that dis completely discrediting animated movies um for you know just because of a you know because of the the amount that come out or what does come out, I, I don't really, I don't really think it's all that valid. There are a lot of great examples of when animated movies can touch people, and it's great to see. I I love it. <clears throat> Spider Verse in particular. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, do you want to get into the critical breakdown now that I've rambled myself to death? Yeah, sure. Let's go. <laughs> Um, I, I wanted to get out of the gate. The first thing that really jumped out to me on this last rewatch, <clears throat> the score is one of my favorite Pixar scores. Um, Randy Newman, like really, I think just having this intro of this, um, these cool animated doors with all of the letters and like um, the monster arms coming out of nowhere um, with this music that's very, it's very jazzy, it's very inviting, it's very upbeat, kind of sets the tone where it's mm-hmm. just like, hey, just this is... This is gonna be fun. Like, come on in. Like, it's gonna be okay. Yeah, it start that opening sequence. I I remember it so vividly when I was a kid. I always thought it was so cool and such such like thematically such a perfect opening. This sort of like cut paper looking style art with like the hand drawn animation. Um, it was. I think I think you're exactly right. It sets the tone for the movie. Is and even with with Randy Newman's score. Um, should have a little tidbit, but I'll bring up later. And it's just, I, no, something do funny. it now. Just do it um, now, please. So there was, I forget exactly, like, I don't know what the ex- exact piece is named in the score, but anytime there's, like, a tender moment between Sully and Boo, and there's that, like, repeating sort of melody, um, that same thing, actually, Randy Newman did the score for Marriage Story, I think it was last year, and mm-hmm. in, like, there's a tender moment between, you know, like, the two parents and their kid, and that same melody came up again, <laughs> and I saw it, and he, like I was complete because the movie's fantastic. But I saw that, and immediately yeah. I stood. I was watching with my girlfriend. I just stood up. I'm like, "That's the theme from Monsters Inc." <laughs> and I started flipping out, and just ruining the tender moment. Of pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really recognizable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I. That no, that makes sense. Yeah, I I love Marriage Story. That is a very Randy Newman score in that movie. Um. That's that's interesting. I, I did not notice that. Yeah, the I love, you know, Randy Newman is one of the best, you know, composers and songwriters that we have of the last like forty years. Just because of, you know, he was initially just a songwriter and like has, his albums are very provocative and in character. And it's interesting to go back and listen to some of them. And now, he is was able to transition into you know uh, entertainment for animation and did so much for Pixar and all of his original songs are great. You know, obviously you got a friend in me is iconic. Um, but you know, I love, uh, if I didn't have you from, uh, uh, in, in this movie, I think I it's too. really, really fun. Uh, I mean, it's, it kind of just sounds like, like if they're doing like a, 
like a karaoke night. Mm-hmm. Did, this is the song that they're singing or something. I think the best part the best um, part is that John Goodman Andy and Billy Crystal do did it themselves with that song. Yeah, I don't mean it, to cut you off, but no, I feel like no, I f- no. If if Randy Newman had sang it, I feel like it wouldn't have had the same effect. Like getting the characters' voices singing that, I think it made it so much funnier. Yeah, because they're both like they're singing it in character too. So it's kind of there's this self-awareness of it where it's like, yes, we're not like we're not singers, but we love each other and we're able to emote it mm-hmm. and play in character, um, which is it's fun to listen to. I like it. <laughs> um, this whole movie in general just makes me happy. Like, like it's not I wouldn't say this is one of Pixar's, you know, it's not like one of their sad movies. You know, mm-hmm. I don't really get sad during this movie at all. Um, it, you know, there's the low point for sure. Um, but you know, after you've seen it, you know, it's like, okay, there's just this one moment and then Mike's going to go and do the stand up, and it's going to be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, the, it's not really, it, it doesn't like, like, I don't get sad, like up, you know, I don't, I, it doesn't hit me like Toy Story three and not to the film's detriment. It's just like, not that. And I, I don't really think the movie is trying to make it super like completely sad. Cause I think they know the next step is they're going to, they're going to be okay. You know, it, it's not like. In or at the end, like at the part of Inside Out when Bing Bong goes, it's like that's a real moment that is supposed to be like an actual affecting moment. Whereas with with this, it's like you know it's gonna be fine. Don't worry. Like it's it's gonna be it's gonna be okay. Just trust us. I just I feel like if they tried to, it's something Pixar's so good at. It's like they make those really sad moments when they fit. You know what I mean? It's like the mm-hmm. end, the sort of right before, you know, like the, the real ending of the movie when Sully says goodbye to Boo. It's like, it is sad. You know, it's tender, but it's not the sort of thing like at the end of Coco where Mama Coco dies and he's singing yeah. Remember Me and it just makes you sob your eyes out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think, I think like emotionally, the, the beats that they wanted to hit in this movie, they all hit and like they hit mm-hmm. appropriately. Um, especially with that, with the tender moment at the end. Cause if they had really tried to like milk that and make it, you know, really sad, I feel like it would have, it would have made it feel less genuine, but I think they, they, they hit the nail on the head perfectly. I agree. All of the moments are definitely effective and honest. Like they're very, like I, I, I believe what they're portraying. Um, you want to talk about uh, John Goodman and uh, Billy Crystal? Hell, I think that yeah. this is one of my you hit you hit the nail on the head earlier when talking about like the voice performances. Like, and they Pixar is just able to give certain actors a second life by uh, giving them these characters that you wouldn't necessarily expect from them. Like one of the bigger ones for me. Like, I mean, just even considering just because of how big Tom Hanks is, just thinking about him as Woody is interesting. But like <clears throat> someone like Albert Brooks who's Marlon in Finding Nemo, he was this really big, you know, comedian and he's a film director and an actor. And so just to have him like, that's what our generation knows him as. Mm -hmm. And he's really good in that movie is so interesting. And they're able to do that with, um, like I would say most of the choices that they make are really good, you know, successful choices, you know, barring, you know, like Larry the Cable Guy in Cars. But <laughs> but here, I think they got the chemistry right between these two, even though obviously they did it uh, separately. But actually, just, fun oh, fact. Did they do it together? John, um, yeah, it was something I, I found out because I thought, I mean, I thought that like even Miss, Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head, like Don Rickles mm-hmm. and I forget the the other actress's name for uh, 
Mr. Potato Head. They always recorded their lines separately, even though they have mm-hmm. so much banter. I forget which one. It was either Goodman or Crystal. They requested that him and Billy Crystal get to do the line. They get to do all their recording sessions together, and their chemistry was like immediate. And I think, I mean, obviously, you know, they don't they don't always have to be together. I think Tim Allen and Tom Hanks also did that for like some later Toy Story films, but just like I think with the with the sort of because, like, in the first Toy Story, you know, Buzz and Woody are very separate entities. You know, mm-hmm. they're very they're very different people. If you're trying to set up a realistic friendship, I think it'd be really difficult for... I mean, both these guys are very talented actors um, in their own right. Um, but I think it would be difficult to really set up this friendship, <clears throat> especially for a voice actor, because it's not your body. It's literally just your voice. So to try and really portray, like, the emotion and how, like, realistic this friendship is... If they were doing the, everything separately, I think it would have been a lot tougher. But they they really... these guys, Just like this comedic duo, it's so good. Billy Crystal in this movie, it's... Yeah. <laughs> it's... Oh, he's just... He's so good. He's... He's... I, he's just so funny in yeah. everything he does. I relate to him of like all of the... like. He's definitely a top like relatable Pixar character for me. I see myself a lot in him. He's very... Like he's very anxious, but he's this ball, like fun-loving ball of fun where you just like he wants to be friends with everybody also, and like he's like a smooth talker and, um, and you know John Goodman uh, is you know is not the main point of comedy in this movie in terms of his voice acting because like he's much more you know uh, an actor whereas Billy Crystal is a comedian, um, but some of the stuff that they do with his face in this movie <laughs> is so good. Like, my biggest laugh in this entire movie is when he's scared that Boo has gone through the trash compactor. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. And his face, <laughs> his face like, oh, and his face like stretches out. Is and he faints. He literally faints four times. In that scene. <laughs> it's so amazing. I laugh every single time. And just like how sad he is. The, the bit after that too. I just just to go over that. The bit right after that where Mike finds him. And is just so he's well, like that's a hunk of garbage. <laughs> and then there's just like all the kids and Mike's just like, the line is like, "How many kids you got in there?" And he just like starts looking through it. That's so funny. <laughs> but yeah, I, Mike is is amazing. Like when he's like literally, you know, when he's it's great Billy Crystal because like when he when he wakes up and he's doing the little radio thing at the beginning, you know, it's a perfect day to stay in bed or start the workout with that flab hanging off the bed. You know, it's like, it's immediately like, okay, they are good friends. They look out for each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just his always, he's always so mostly positively spirited when he's like, you know, even when he's covered in the ad in the commercial and at the magazine at the end, he's like, I was on TV. You know, he's like so happy. (laughs) That running bit is hilarious. The, 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 um, yeah, but uh, I think I think just like go, starting going off like that starting segment where we start on Mike, um, I just I really like that opening scene. I mean, there have been like some memes made out of it, so maybe it holds a special part of my heart. <laughs> but um, I think it's just like when they're setting up these guys' relationships and they want it to be like believable. It's so perfect right off the start. Like, what would someone who's not your best friend blow an air horn in your face if you're sleeping in like a minute too late trying to get you to, you know, get to the top? It's just like, it's so funny. It's going from like push ups and sit ups to brushing your teeth. It was, I don't know. I I think it, I think it just, it, it introduces, 
every time that a character is first introduced in this movie, it does it's they're all they're introduced very perfectly, and you can tell like who these people are gonna be immediately from the start. Yeah, and everyone is a good featured player in the story. Like it, it was really cool to see how every single decision made is will come back later mm-hmm. like opening the movie with that simulation and how that that plays into the end but that's also a good way to give exposition about the scream shortage which was another thing when i did my rewatch of a lot of these movies in the, the last year the first stages of quarantine i had forgotten that there was a shortage mm-hmm. of, of scream energy because of like you know you know kids don't scare like they used to you know it's like i i was like oh damn that's actually kind of interesting and then that ties in with the whole you know corporations just trying to save themselves and we could talk about that later but you know having that simulation come back and then how um uh jennifer tilly's character um celia plays into everything and how she helps is kind of fun to see i mean she's not as prevalent um as like other things but like and roz like how she's in there i think roz has become like one of our generations more um, memorable characters from movies mm-hmm. that we, you know, grew up with, just because of her very, you know, recognizable voice and demeanor. She has this like older professorial demeanor. Like we all had a teacher like that in like yeah. elementary school, middle school. Like it's fun to see. And then obviously when she comes back at the end and the paperwork stuff, you know, it, it's really cool to see how everything is set up. There's good setup and payoff, which is what you want in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> like. You just go down the whole cast of characters, and, um, I mean, Pixar, even by their fourth movie, they were just hit, hitting their stride, really, when it comes to introducing new characters, especially, like, they did it in Toy Story 2. They brought in, like, three new main characters with, like, Jesse Bullseye, and they just, they fit so well, um, and just, um, I don't know, if, like, uh, just going down the list, like, Randall, especially, as, like, a oh, villain, yeah. uh-huh. I, I think it's, like, he's not too evil, but like he's he's just immediately you know like this guy, this dude he's a bad guy. Um, he's but strong, but he's beatable. Exactly. Like you can tell, like that, like you're waiting. It's not like you're hoping. You are waiting for them to get the moment where they can beat the shit out of this guy. It's like you know that Sully in like he could probably like kick Randall's ass if he really wanted to. Oh yeah. Um, uh-huh. just especially with how much he picks on both of them. Uh, great Steve Buscemi performance, also for sure. And then like Waternoose, I I just like I I, I like thinking of these like main, these main four. Waternoose is like, um, there's 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 a big thing where like twist like Disney's twist villains never work, and like they're always so, so like I I remember like Incredibles two with like Screen Slaver and how predictable and stupid the villain was. Where it's like here, it's it like wasn't gen- stupid. It was definitely like as soon as that character showed up, like in the movie, I was like, "There's the villain." Yeah, like, I just knew it. I love like, that movie, but that was the biggest problem I had. It's like there was that. no, there's like no payoff to the villain really. That I think, I think with this one, um, even like even rewatching it yesterday when I did, um, and like I've seen this movie a million times. I know what happens. I can go line by line, like going through the movie. But the twist immediately when you see that Waternoose is working with Randall, they they do such a good job because he just seems like you know such a nice like mentor. It's like he's a third generation running the company, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I I also think James Coburn's uh, vocal performance definitely helps. Uh, he's oh just, yeah, he's like you know sort of like kind of upbeat, but he's got like this sort of like 
older, wiser kind of tone to his voice. And then immediately in like the, it's yours. He gets to like this lower, growl, more growly register. You're like, oh shit, yeah. this dude's really evil. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's it, He's interesting because, you know, at first, because of the way that they frame the world and how it, it seems like everyone's working at this factory mm-hmm. um, and this company. So it's like, and that is all on his shoulders, and so at first you're like, and because he's so close with Sully, because we as the audience trust Sully, so it's like, oh, if he's okay with Waternoose, then it's like, oh, Waternoose is okay. And so it's not like so foretelling, for sure. Um, you don't see it immediately. Um, and also because of how well Randall is um, set up as being an asshole, it's kind of like, it's it's like a sleight of hand storytelling trick, almost. You focus mm-hmm. more so on Randall than you do Waternoose. And yeah, I had... Um, forgotten how they set up his twist um and like i always forget about the whole you know um nepal sequence like when they get banished Mm -hmm. i always forget about how that sets up and how that plays into the rest of the story but like there's some really good moments there obviously john rattensberger as the yeti is there's the is fantastic and his like it's like probably my favorite performance of his in all of the like it's a really good performance by him in in terms of the Pixar, mm. you know, canon. Like, you know, you know, abominable. I mean, how about like, you know, <laughs> so totally like abominable, dude. <laughs> um, but to to go back to the just the the chemistry and like to see like how everyone interacts with each other within the world of like you know just when they're going to work and then at work and just saying hi to everybody, you mm-hmm. know, like Chalupi, baby, baby. you know. <laughs> Or like the two nerd guys are like, quiet, you're making him lose his focus. <laughs> like are just there's so many good just like small character moments mm-hmm. um that Pixar has always been great at, but it just makes the world so much more complete and it's like this seems fun. Like it's very inviting and enjoyable. And it's like even those kind of characters, like the two teens, like who are like the or whatever, or like the janitors, it's like you feel like so- sometimes they can just be like throwaway characters or just written in for a laugh. But it's like every single like little side character that they add in feels like it just adds to the atmosphere and like the story, especially of, of Monsters Incorporated, like as a factory, you know, it's 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 like if the idea is to just set up all these people like they just come to work every day. They they do it so perfectly with all these characters and the way that they interact, like you just talked about. It's just like the first time they walk in, Sully and and Mike walking in, um, just like saying hello to everybody. It's like it, it looks, it seems real and it's believable. It's like like you said, it's I'm basically just saying exactly what you just said, <laughs> but it's it's because it's true. It's it's you know what I mean. Absolutely, yeah, and it's fun to see how everything interacts. Like that first scene where they do the. Where they're um, the, where the scream floor is open, and you see each monster how they um, how what their scare tactics are. Like that's really cool. Like, and they have the scene of them walking in slow motion out, which is just obviously a direct homage to the right stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you see everyone, uh, you know that one guy puts the teeth in, the guy puts the eyes on his face, and everyone's just you know trying to break the scare record and get as many screams as they possibly can. Um, and one of my favorite, like, little touches, I don't know why I've always loved this. It's kind of hard to explain, but, like, when... So, Randall and Sully are, like, battling mm-hmm. each other, right? Randall comes out, gets the record, and then Mike uh, Mike is, like, going can after can after can, and Sully comes out, he's just, Slumber like, party. It's fantastic. <laughs> like, I was, like, that's just one of those things where you're, like, wow, they, like... I don't know what what it is about that. I just never really thought about a monster coming out during a slumber party. And it's like, 
I don't know. I, I really can't articulate why I like it, but it's just such a small little moment that you probably never mm-hmm. would have thought of, but they put it in there. It's just like, yes, I love it. I love it. Like just, and yeah, he's just swinging those cans back and forth. Jungum's delivery on that line, too, is just so funny. Just like how mm-hmm. casually... It's like he's not, he doesn't seem like like he, he starts off the day with like the hey may the best monster win and then Randall's just like an asshole about it. It's yeah. sort of like the one thing where he comes yeah. out he's like yeah never mind you're a bitch. He's like yeah fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's a really great moment um, and I we I think uh, also we should talk about Boo as a character is a really interesting addition to this movie that sets it apart. It was kind of the first time um, other, uh, other than. Andy, because uh, Andy doesn't really affect the story of Toy Story all that much, other than getting the toy mm-hmm. and becoming obsessed with Buzz. Andy is like, is just the framework of this is what we're fighting for, mm-hmm. you know. Whereas Boo is like actually, like she's. I was noticing last night she's like really smart. Like she does things in this movie that like when she finds the door with the the, 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 the little uh, wrench on the wall, little wrench on a hidden door that leads down. Like she's actually like super helpful, um, and can blend in really well and is so lovable. Obviously, because I mean she's just a she's just a baby, mm-hmm. but you know it's fun to see how she fits in. Like that scene, like after the the siege on uh, the sushi restaurant with the big orb and they were just like uh, like mm-hmm. and they take her back to their house like it's it's so fun to see like you know first they're um, like basically setting the like the house on fire and like Mike sprays himself in the eye and that's where we get the first idea that the laughter affects the energy mm-hmm. that's also really good setup because like you know at first she just goes crazy and and then it comes back a couple more times. Which, by the way, that scene has one of my favorite moments when Mike is in the trash can. He just hops <laughs> he over. Just hops like, right in. I, I have no idea, but it'd be really great if it didn't happen it again. again. <laughs> I just love. I, I love the idea. Once they introduce Boo, it's like, you know, because they set up like all oh, scaring kids, scaring kids, and then Boo comes in and it's like she's not scared. It's like this is the top scare. It, at Monsters Inc. and she's she's like playing with his tail, chasing him around. Like mm-hmm. she's not phased, and I th- I think that's her character in general. I mean, like you said, she's like she's really helpful, and she's really sweet. I think it's kind of like at one point she seems kind of like a puppy who's like just like <laughs> get, finding all these new smells and stuff. Like when mm-hmm. she's just kind of when she's like unleashed upon the factory. She's just running around, like seeing all the sites and like trying to like interacting with all these people and they, and they have no idea. I just, I think it's really cool how they introduce this little girl and you know, I mean, as an audience member, you're like, why are they scared? It's like, she's, she's not hurting you. She's a little tiny girl. What is she going to do? It's like, you yeah, can just the, step on her and crush her. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> the cool thing that they, you know, they flip on you is that like everyone in this movie, all of the monsters are, terrified of this one like they set it up like you know obviously the 2319 but the they are hor- like this thing will kill you like it is so like the the chemical like it is so like it's just dangerous mm-hmm. it will destroy everything this child you know <laughs> like it, it's toxic it's deadly it is just it's I, I don't even know like it's just absurd um and then you know the fact that the idea that like each child has their own specific monster mm-hmm. and hers is um, hers is Randall's. So that obviously automatically makes us not like Randall even more. Um, and we understand why she would be 
comfortable with everybody else. Because I guess if you think about it, if you only have one specific monster that uh, is attuned to all of your fears, you wouldn't really be afraid of anything, mm-hmm. anything else. Um, and um, but yeah, she's you know she's really sweet. She's really cute. Like I, I've always loved. Um, you know, when they're just throwing Fruit Loops at her, and she's just catching them in her mouth, and when she goes to sleep, she literally just, like, immediately just like knocks yeah, out. Yeah, immediately knocked out. And Sully's like, you go to sleep. sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, there's an instant, you know, and obviously Mike is, you know, very, very afraid, afraid of her, and it's just like, using mostly spoons, we dig a tunnel <laughs> under the city and release it into the wild. Spoons. Spoons. <laughs> so many great lines in this movie. Oh yeah. And again, it's because of their interactions with each other. Um, and you know, they just they just give these guys time to cook. They're just they're really just being themselves in the movie, mm-hmm. but they fit so well. Um, and I love that you know Boo is also great because she doesn't really she obviously doesn't have any actual verbal like lines other than you know Mike was asking but when she is saying I think there's something in my closet it's gibberish but you can kind of make it out yeah like you know I was in my closet it's like it actually it's like oh I get what you're saying it's easier for her to communicate with us it's fun (laughs) I also I also really like um I like how Mike I think Mike starts to realize after like that first interaction that Boo's not like toxic like she's really not gonna like kill them but he still, I think he just feels this resentment towards Boo because she's getting in the middle of, like, their friendship, this thing. And I think especially in the Nepal sequence when he's having this sort of, like, this last sort of thing with Sully when he's about to leave and go save Boo. And he's like, look at everything that we've done together. Like, does this matter? You're about to, you're going to just throw this all away for a little girl. And then I think that's that's sort of when it hits Mike that, like, he's not doing this because he doesn't care about us. He's doing it because it's the right thing to do. Um... I just I like the contrast because they're they're so like buddy buddy the whole movie and then this this like kid causes so much divide and especially like there's that 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 moment in Nepal when like Sully leaves and Mike's really just like like he turns around like he's angry and then he turns back around once he leaves and he was I think it's just so like when I watched it I was like geez this man looks like he just looks hurt it's like because I could Mm -hmm. tell it's like he knew he's in the wrong but he's also like wow that like that's my best friend just running away from me. Yeah, he, but he, yeah, he, he has, he's the one with the legitimate arc in mm-hmm. the movie. You know, Sully is the one, he doesn't have much change, it's just this change comes into his life. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mike is the one who has the complete, you know, change in mindset and thought. Um, and yeah, at first, you know, he's just sees Boo as this obstacle that they have to get over. And like when, when there's that, you know, moment when, uh, they're going to first return her. Mike is like, you know, it's great. Our lives go back to normal. The nightmare is over. Like he's just so happy that you mm-hmm. know the life is gonna be okay. Um, <laughs> like he fits the fake door down of like from like this Norwegian party. He's just like, oh, sounds like fun in there, you know. <laughs> and that's where we get. Obviously, we did it in the opening. That getting mm-hmm. that thing back where it came from. Or so help me, like. I don't know. How do they come up with that? Like, how do you? Th- That's possibly- gotta be like improvised. Like, how mm-hmm. how how do you how do you how do you write that in a script? You just put bum bum bum. Like, how bum, do you put bum, that in bum. a script? <laughs> I have no idea. It's just great. But then it comes back later. Is like, what are you guys doing here? Oh, they're rehearsing a play. <laughs> She's out of our hands. <laughs> 
And then the play comes up in the bloopers later too, and like the whole gag. Yeah, reel. this was the last one to do the bloopers. Um, and these are my favorite bloopers, but they got some good ones. I mean, I've always uh, very clearly laughed at like when in the slow motion they all trip and fall. Like that one's the best. It's so yeah. funny. I that, that is one thing I do really miss that I. I think there. I, I think it makes sense why they got rid of it. It's much easier to do it with those earlier movies, like the the Toy Story two bloopers. Like that is just genius. It's so oh goddamn God, yeah. funny. But like you know, just Mrs. Potato Head keeps packing shit <laughs> and play doh. Hey yo yo. <laughs> I just. Um, but like it's hard for them to do it with the later movies because the later ones, not that they got too self-serious, but they're very emotionally weighted. Mm. Like you can't really do it with Coco, right? Like, yeah, you can't. You can't have you know Coco singing "Remember Me" and then Mama Coco falls over and it gets up. It's like, <laughs> oh, sorry, you know, like we'll go again. <laughs> like you just can't. You just can't do that. So it's really nice to see that as like kind of a relic of that early stage of Pixar. I do miss it though. It's like the, I I agree. It definitely wouldn't work for like every movie, but it's like I just I think about it. It's like that's that's a lot of extra like render time and animation time, and they went through that in like these earlier stages where, you know, they spent so much of the development trying to make Sully's hair look good. It's like yeah, mm-hmm. they still had time to like make bloopers and stuff. I don't. I mean, it's just, it's like I miss them. I think they would have been funny. Yeah. And I mean, Cars did it. Cars kind of did it a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was more like a prologue sort of thing in the credits, but it still f- kind of felt like bloopers, I guess. Yeah, I think that the, what's cool about that is they. That's another reason why I think that they really tried to push like this is a movie, you know. This is and seeing that you know with especially in Toy Story two with like you know the boom mic coming in and mm-hmm. like they would do different like make it feel like it's different cuts. You know, it's it, they made it feel like it was on set and it was actually made and it was like it's a movie and that's fine. And that's the other thing. The thing we haven't talked about yet, and I, I'm shocked we haven't, is that all of the classic Pixar movies have a short in front of them, like old, like, you know, um, like old Nickelodeons like they would do. And it's mm-hmm. that brings it together. That makes it part of the experience. Like you're going to see something else entertaining before the actual movie. I've always loved the Pixar shorts. The one before Monsters Inc. is actually one of my favorites, the for the birds. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um My favorite has always been, I've always really liked um what's it what's it from? I think it's from I think it's from Finding Nemo. It's the knickknack one with the little snowman in the snow globe, and he's trying to get to the party with all uh-huh. the knickknacks across. I think knickknack the... was actually with Toy Story. Was it? No, think... Toy Story had Toy Story had the. Uh, was it the... Luxo? Was it Lux? I thought Luxo was just a short because I remember no. knickknack. They had to like adjust it in later releases because some of the some of like. The models and stuff were kind of provocative. Maybe I don't know. I just remember it being before the Finding Nemo. VHS that I had. It was pro- probably was on there somewhere. Um, I also have always loved the what is it, the Presto. That's the one before Wally. Yeah, that is the one before Wally. Yeah, but those like they're just so they're so entertaining and so funny. Obviously, like nonverbal storytelling, is mm-hmm. very hard to achieve, and they do it. Um, <laughs> just a very entertaining fashion. Do you have some favorites of the shorts? Um, I always love Mike's new car, the Monsters Inc. one. Actually, both yeah. the Monsters Inc. one, Party Central with Mon- If you haven't seen that one with Monsters University, oh yeah, it's uh-huh. hilarious. No, that's um, a good one. Yeah, from that, these that earlier one's... ones, I love for the birds. Um, 
I always really liked Bounden too. Um, I think Bounden's that was a good one. It's got a good song to it. Yeah. And uh, Jerry's oh, game. That's a good one. What the hell is the one I'm forgetting? The one where the old the Jerry's game's the one where the the old man plays. Yeah, chess the old himself. dude plays chess. That's from A Bug's Life. And then I mean there was like one man band. I think that was before Ratatouille. That one. Man, what the Jack? I already said Jack Jack Attack. Bow. Even I mean that was really new. Um, yeah, that was before. Uh, I think it was Inside Out. I think something like that. I don't even remember. I, I remember that one kind of. I thought it was really no, weird at first. Uh, Incredibles two. That's what yeah. I thought it was really Which, weird, but then I watched I it again. It. I thought it was fantastic. I watched it again, and I'm like, wait, this is actually really good. Yeah, I always. I also always loved. I think it's. I think it's before. Oh, what is it? It's it's called Lifted. Um, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I, I can't remember what it's before though. That one's the alien one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I where's it from? Are you looking it up? I'm just look. I'm looking. Lifted was yeah. It was before Ratatouille. Okay. Okay. Ratat. Yeah, Ratatouille. What's right. the one that I'm forgetting, man? I keep. I don't even know. I, I'm forgetting at this point. There, there's so many, and I don't mm-hmm. know. If, I feel like maybe they've stopped doing it. I, I remember when I saw Coco. Well, no, there was it was a Frozen short before Coco. Yeah, that was, was bad. Terrible. <laughs> it was fucking awful. It was and not I, good. I remember seeing that in the theater, um, and maybe that's why I didn't think Coco was like amazing. I liked Coco, but I didn't love it. Maybe that's why because the first short was like so long and so terrible that Dude, I felt it, like was, it was already there for too. I long. I was sitting there. I was so excited for the movie, and I'm like, when the fuck is this Frozen short gonna end? I'm not here to see fucking Frozen. Yeah, with terrible songs, terrible voice acting, something that's not funny. Ugh, I, ugh, I fucking hate that short. I hate it, it so, so much. Um, I thought that I saw, I saw. Um, there was like a, a VFX breakdown of the way they made the short, which I thought was interesting. But the short itself was just like, it was mm-hmm. so fucking long. It was so yeah. boring. Um, it makes me angry. Like it makes me mauled when I think about yeah, it. Yeah, because it was like fifteen minutes. Like, come on, it's ridiculous. I'm here for one thing. Like, if it was really good, I wouldn't care. But it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's bad and it's long. Like, exactly. the greatest thing about those shorts is that they're like five minutes at most. Mm-hmm. I think Bounden was like the longest one. That one. Or maybe Presto. Presto's a little long. Not like long, but like. But most of them are just like a couple minutes in and out, done, good. And they feel like their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, back to Monster Sync. Uh, but like they, they really try and make it feel like it, like this is a movie. This is an actual full on mm. experience, and I, and I really, really appreciate that. Um, I and yeah, so like the way that the story goes, and it's really fun to see. Like, I kind of feel bad. You know, what I really feel bad for is Randall's assistant because he gets the shit fungus? Made out of him. Like yeah. every yeah, fungus, yeah, and he gets like when that scream sucker, like that thing, like almost kills him basically like he's just like he's so pale with the brightest red lips it's good to at least see him at the end like when he comes back but like my god like he just i feel so bad for him i think the the thing i never realized with that scream thing was like we never really got to see it in act like we see it and we're like this shit's imposing like this is definitely Mm -hmm. not okay like not humane to do to kids yeah. And then I see, you see it on Fungus, and you're like, "Ha! Oh, look at him! His lips are gigantic now because of the the suction." But it's actually, it, yeah, it would have <laughs> completely fucked someone up. Oh yeah, for sure. 
I, I also I saw something recently. I saw a lot of people tweeting about how Disney in general sometimes will reuse animation panels, especially in like some of their older ones. Like you can find, um, you know, certain drawings animated from Winnie the Pooh in the Jungle Book. Yeah, or, I remember I um, saw that. And you know, I, I I I never noticed it, but I also I don't really care because if you're a they're a company. They're gonna parry it off of themselves. We just said Randy Newman used the same fucking thing in another movie. Yeah. Who cares? Like I don't really care. But one thing I did notice that kind of caught, I don't want to say caught me off guard, but did jump out at me is that the scene where they go and get on the door and they're the whole end sequence, which is fantastic. It's so mm-hmm. fun. But seeing when they go in the first like their one aisle and then they see all of the doors is like the scene in Toy Story Two in the airport where they go through with the luggage. It's like, okay, we just got to find that case. And they go through and it's, it's like <laughs> so much fucking luggage. Um, <laughs> this is just a nightmare. Um, but that ending sequence is so cool. Um, just seeing them go through each door and, you know, Boo is fucking loving it. She's loving like just sliding down and it's there. They're on, then they're on different levels and they got to make her laugh to start it. Like it's just nonstop excitement. Yeah. I think, I mean, by that point in the movie, it's sort of we've kind of seen the ins and outs of the factory, I guess. And then the only other place is like, where do the doors go? It's I remember when I was a kid, like watching the movie. Um, throughout the whole thing, I was like, oh, the doors are going. I wonder what happens with all the doors. And then they they just do it. And it was yeah. there's like over half a million doors in like that big first shot. And it's like, it's so cool. And all the different environments, like how they go to Hawaii and Mike's like, well, why couldn't we get banished here? And then they go to like France and they go to Japan. And it's like, oh, it's a slides, it slides, it slides. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) they get, they get all these little beats where it's like, you know, the scores like pumping and it's like this very, you know, like high stakes climactic event. And then there's just these little beats in the end where it's just like, oh, look, it's France. And then just come and run through the door. I think, I think it's just, um. It the the it's it's just such such a good like finale to the I, whole thing. W- one thing I definitely did not notice like ever from watching this is the um I've always loved uh you know just they beat Randall obviously mm-hmm. and Boo's not scared of him anymore. But the thing I never noticed is like so yes he gets thrown through the door and it's the the trailer <laughs> park uh, and you know but and then they they throw the door off the end, you know, basically like just getting rid of him forever. And then I was thinking like they subside that by the fact that when they go in, it's this mother and son, like mom, there's another gator in the house. I was dying last night. I don't know how I missed it all these years. That I never, was... that never gets old. Every time I see that, I laugh. It's just, it's cause <laughs> think about your Randall's like super pissed off. Like he just lost. He just got defeated. And then he just gets the hell beaten out of him with this show. <laughs> yeah. But just the fact, I, I think it was the first time I actually heard their lines, like, mm. clearly. And the actors who do those lines are just so good. Give me that shovel! <laughs> <laughs> and the kid, it's like in a football game, he's like, yeah, go, Mom! Go, Mom! <laughs> yeah, come on, get that, get that kid! <laughs> oh, my God. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> I, I also, I, I, uh, like I said, I think it's great the way that they come back with the simulation scene. Uh, and 
that's how they get water noose on uh, camera. And it actually kind of sidelined me last night when I was watching it. I was like, okay, so they got her, they got her back in the room. Okay, so now water noose is just gonna have to. They just come in and take him away, and then no, the doors come down. I was like, oh, that's right. They, they use that again. It comes back. It's so good. They cover their tracks. Pixar. They know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I always, I always love the line because it's like. It's like you said earlier, they, they introduced the simulation right at the start just to come back to it later. And it's not like an exact replica of, of the first, but like the thing goes up and Mike's got that same demeanor that like the lady in the beginning had where she's like, can you tell me what you did wrong? And he's just like, well, I don't know about you guys, but I yeah. saw several big mistakes. Yeah. And it was just that whole setup to the end. I mean, obviously, you know, watching it now, it's like I know what happens, but... It's first of all, they have a really good twist villain, and then just like that twist at the end where like it they end up in the simulation for that's pe- such a big like gotcha. It's like people who watch that, it's like we just got out big brained by Pixar and their amazing yeah. creative minds. <laughs> Absolutely, and yeah, and then that goes into the um, you know, he has to put Pooh back and. You know, it was always one thing where it's like, okay, you know, it's necessary. You know, he has to let him go. But the the moment that always got me is when she opened her door. You know, that's the big one where it's like, oh, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of real. And then they shred the door. I did not expect that Mike to rebuild it. For some reason in my head, that was always... I don't remember if that was like an extra or like a deleted scene, but like when I was a kid, like I thought, was that actually how the movie ends? How does the movie end? Um, but you know, and seeing it, that's another good reason why Mike's a good friend. He rebuilds the door for him. And like, you know, when you see his hands, they're just all cut up and bloody. Yeah. Like the bandages on him. You're like, that's, it's so sweet. I love it. I think it's just like, it's such a good, it's a good way to sort of like tie up their friendship, I guess. Cause it gets amended like right before, like right before the big finale with the doors and stuff when Mike comes back. But I think it's just like one of those unexpected things where it's sort of a gesture where it's like, even though like Sully's like running the company now, like he's, he's happy. Everyone's happy. Um, but it's like, he, he's still got that, the, the piece in like his little binder. He's got that, that Mm -hmm. piece of the door and it's sort of like, um, I don't know. I think it's just such, it's it's another one of those things where I'm like it's not sad emotional payoff, but it's like really it's like really heartwarming emotional payoff, and it's yeah. it's it's again it's like going back to this whole thing of like Pixar really pulling at, at your heartstrings, but it's um I don't know I think I think if they had ended it on just like oh you know Sully still has the door he doesn't get to see her again, but like being able to the whole thing was like it just needs one last piece. It's like he uh-huh. knew he he kept he held on to that piece. Yeah, I yeah, yeah that's I really like that moment. I will say one more thing before we go to analysis. I was the target audience for Mike's stand-up act in that <laughs> in that last scene. I'm not gonna lie, him eating that microphone and doing the wind-up with the burp. I, I still laughed last night every oh, time same. I watched that movie. I still I don't know what it is. I think it's the rumble that you hear, the wind up, him literally getting blown back. I think it was because the first time I saw it, it was so unexpected. Mm-hmm. I just didn't, I was like, what? He's eating the microphone? What is he <laughs> doing? Like, I was just like, I, it still just like kills me. I'm such a fucking child. <laughs> same, same. It, it makes me laugh every single time. Just that stupid shit. It's so funny. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's just, and it's not even like, and if any other character had done it, it wouldn't have been funny. It's just the way that his like mouth just like reverberates, like, and just like flaps when he, 
I can't analyze a burping scene, but it's still so fucking good. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, <laughs> I just, I, I think. No, I always I look back on that. It's, I mean, it's just kind of reverberating what you're saying. It's like that. It makes me laugh every single time. I think it's also sort of credit to the animators, like. All their movements look very real. Everything in that moment just is so exaggerated. It's like, he doesn't chew it. He just, like, swallows this microphone, which is, like, as wide as him. And then he's... <laughs> it's, it's just such... It's such a good moment, man. It's such a good moment. Yeah. And I... Uh, one more thing I wanted to just ask you about, um... Uh, Monsters University. Because I remember seeing that in theaters, and I really liked that. I usually hate prequels, or at least the ideas of prequels. Um, but that one I thought did a really good job of adding more to the emotion of these characters, particularly in the entire like third act. It's mm-hmm. really well realized. Um, and the idea of like who you are and what it means to be scary and what you're cut out for. Like, I think that's really good. Um, but I rewatched it when I was in LA last year and it was really cool to see it then more like what inside jokes of being through college are sprinkled in throughout. Like it's really well done. And I, you know, obviously it retcons the idea that they've known each other since they were kids. They met each other in college. Um, but I don't know. That's one of the more, that's one of the better realized sequels of Pixar in my mind because the characters didn't really change. The actors are still really, really good. It's fun to see the differences between the two of them and then they have to work it out. Um, like if that had been the first movie and then this had been the second movie, it would have been, I think it would have been different. Mm-hmm. Um, or a different feel altogether, but I think uh, I really like Monsters University personally. Yeah, I don't know. I don't get. I don't understand why it gets so much hate. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's like, sure, is it the shining beacon of Pixar's premier filmmaking? Probably not. But it's like, it's it's such a. I mean, it's it's hard to say that there's a bad Pixar movie. There are bad Pixar movies, but there's Cars very two few. is terrible. I'm sorry. Yeah, Cars <laughs> two, Good Dinosaur, Brave. They all. No, uh, but Monsters University, I think, like, it was sort of that thing where you see it and you're like, wait, they met in college, that whole line about fourth grade. It's like, but then you also kind of forget about it because it, it, I feel like... Like, who cares? Monsters, Inc. is so well... Like, the story itself and the relationship between Mike and Sully in, the, in that, in just the movie itself, is so well realized and has a nice arc to it. But, like, adding Monsters University and, like, especially, like, going through college with, like, frat life and just... I I always thought it was just so funny how like, cause there's like they were still very different people in college, but it's like Mike's like I'm gonna be the best scarer, I'm a god, and then Sully is just like this arrogant douche kind of. Yeah. But then like the the scripts kind of flipped by the end, and mm-hmm. I I think it just it adds it's like kind of like what you said if they did Monsters University then Monsters Inc, I feel like it wouldn't be as good, but mm-hmm. d- making it more like a prequel. It just, it gave a lot more depth to these characters that, like, now coming back to Monsters, Inc., I feel like a lot more, thi- uh, a lot more about these characters is, like, is well-realized, I guess. Yeah, and I think if, if Pixar was ever going to do a, a movie that's set in college, I can't really think of other characters that they've done where that would work. Mm-mm. Like, I, the only other option, like, because it's weird to do it, like, with actual 
human characters. Like if mm-hmm. they did it in the Incredibles, I would imagine it'd be a little weird unless they found someone else with powers. Like maybe that's a thing that happens. But like here it's like it's still grounded in like kids can enjoy it. Um, and even though they haven't been through college, it could still be about friendship and schooling. Um, but it, I, I think, again, because since they've gone, they've geared themselves more towards um, human characters, like actual human beings in their mm-hmm. movies. I think you would need to do that one and flip it with like a little twist and have it be with their um, anthropomorphic characters. And I like mm-hmm. it. I, I think it's still... Um, you know, it gets the cool click groups and frats. Uh, you know, it kind of hits the nail on the head. Um, yeah, I think it's great. Um, so, do you want to finish this off? Let's go to some analyze this and talk some uh, themes and such. Ah. So I think we, we talked a lot about like you know the, the arc of Mike, but the, the theme that like really stuck out to me, and maybe I'm just overreading it. I think it's kind of interesting to see, uh, you know, in 2021, you know, and also through the eyes of a 22 year old, um, seeing you know the whole idea of you know Water News being like I'll kidnap a thousand children just to like, keep this company from dying, like doing anything, like whatever it takes to keep this company like moving. And, um, you know, even breaking the law and doing, like, completely unethical things, it rang pretty true, I will say. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I, this, this, this makes sense why they went this way. Um, Mm. You know, the evil corporation and the, um, you know, I, I, it just stuck out to me where I was like, yeah, fight against the evil corporations. Let's go and turn it positive. Like, let's do it. (laughs) I think Pixar's really good at that. It's like, I mean, I, I. I really like that point because it it reminds me of Wally, which you know anything reminds me of Wally, but <laughs> it's just like this this sort of like kind of realistic theme, I guess, like these big corporations, like what really goes on, you know, like what really what do these companies really do to keep themselves going? And I think in like Wally, it's like they touch on these themes of like you know climate change, pollution, global warming, and then like the corruption of the government and what the government's hiding. It's just, I think Pixar's so good at like. It's kind of slipping these these sort of like more adult, I guess, in more like in I don't want to say intellectual, but like more sort of like real life themes in their movie about monsters who are you know scare kids for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's just um, and I also I like that theme in this movie because it kind of it's sort of I guess it's like an underlying thing that you don't really focus on. Because it's like it's mentioned right in the beginning, like there's a scream shortage. You know, the company is just like water. And it's like, how are we doing? And then the dude's like, oh, well, we may actually meet our quota. And he's like, oh, first time in a month. You know, they're obviously struggling. And then it's sort of you kind of get pulled away from that because of what's happening with the individual characters. But and then obviously it comes back in the end with that thousand uh, children line. But no, <laughs> yeah. I, I I just think it's really interesting how they tie these more like genuine like real life themes into these sort of fantastical worlds yeah the other thing that they do is um you know about facing your fears and you know getting um you know you know facing childhood fears and kind of uh you know head on and you know seeing boo not be afraid of randall at the end and you know sully's got that great line like looks like you're out of a job (laughs) like that's really good and really fun to see um and you know it's 
you know, we all have those irrational fears or just like life fears that we kind of have to push through and face and have to some deal with in some way, shape or form. And you know, we've all had that. And it's great to put that in you know, the context of what was the scariest thing when you were a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and thinking about, you know, in retrospect, how did I like I got over that because of people around me that I loved helped me through it. Um, and, you know, that's something that can be told in an unteeth number of uh, situations, uh, which is, you know, that part of it is inspiring. And it's it's fun to see that. And it's, you know, hopeful. You know, we all go through it's super stressful time right now. And there's a lot of things that are extremely scary, but we have to get through it together. We got to be strong. Um, and, you know, that might be a little bit, you know, bigger in terms of like in also in just in retrospect, like uh, to see that, to look at that now. But it's there. It's 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 great to see, and it's um, you know it rings true. You know it it, it definitely mm-hmm. is well utilized. I also really, I mean, it's it's I guess it's more of like a basic thing. It's kind of introduced at the end more, but it's the the whole thing of like laughter is more po- like the most powerful. Yeah. Than laughter is the uh-huh. best medicine, or whatever. However you choose to interpret it in the context of like this story. I think it's just it's a it's a really good theme um, to sort of end the movie on, I guess, because like when you see Moss, I feel like it's way more fun. Like, I I feel like I'd want to see a follow up, like a short or something. Seeing Monsters, Inc. as like a company that makes kids laugh, you know, like what what kind of the training and what sort of the sort of antics would go on there. I, I don't know. I think I think that theme when it comes to like. You know, Pixar is also really good at like sending home these messages. Like every film's got to have a message. You know, it's good. Um, and I think just sending it home with again, it's sort of up to interpretation. Like exactly how you word it, but the the English, uh, like the <laughs> laugh, like laughter is the most powerful thing. And it's like uh, you know, friendship. You know, Mike and Sully and laughter, and I I think it provides um, a good a good. Uh, what the hell I can't conclusion that's the word yeah <laughs> it's sort of like it ties everything together with all the different themes the movie pushes around I, I really like that one though absolutely I, I totally agree um, so let's round it out just uh, give me a quick synopsis or a, a quick um, yeah I guess synopsis or just quick overview why do you love this movie and how does it add to your love of movies I love this movie because I mean it's hard to explain because I love the story I love all the characters I love the world I love the music um, I love how funny it is I love how well it stood the test of time um, I will like some of the animation a little bit of it looks dated I think some of the lighting looks dated but it's like it's it's you, you know a movie's good when it holds up literally almost 20 years now mm-hmm. Um and it's still just as good as when you first saw it, especially when it's like you have something that that you love so much as a kid. And if you continue to love the movie genuinely, not just for nostalgia, but just because it's a good movie, I think it, it tells um, to the quality of the filmmaking and just the, qual- the quality and the care of the people who made it. Um, and I guess why it affects my love of movies. I mean, again, like I said, it's sort of... Um, this was one of two animated films that really sparked my love and my passion for animation. I guess that passion hasn't really been fully realized yet. Um, <laughs> kind of working on that right now, but yeah, you get time. It's just like I don't know. I, it's it's just it again. It's like I, f- I find it hard to talk about some of these things that I really love this much because it's just so hard to put it into words. Um, my I guess what Monsters Inc does for my love of film is it shows that. 
even just like the simplest of of ideas, like oh the monster in the closet, or like uh, yeah, like just uh, just like the monsters in the closet, or like you know what's really hiding under our beds and everything. It can be explored and fully realized as something that like no no one would ever think of. And I, that's just, it's exactly what I said at the beginning and like right at the beginning. Um, I think animated films are some of the highest forms because we, they can tell stories that you can't tell with like a camera and some friends. It's, it's, it's different. And that, I guess that's what I love about it. And it's sort of, it's, it's, uh, it just inspired me to follow this sort of thing where it's like, it's not just a kid's movie. It's a film. It's an animated movie. And, um, it's just influenced, I guess, the way I look at film and, um, yeah, kind of how I've lived my life. <laughs> That's a great answer, and I totally agree with you. The thing that like really stuck out to me was how it's a story structure, and you know, as old as time that we've seen like over and over again. But it's still a shining example of how you can take it and still make it exciting. You know, like a lot of criticisms I've heard like recently of a lot of older movies, particularly like, you know, the, the first like Star Wars movie about how it's just the hero's journey, but put in space or something like that. But it's like, yeah, so it still works. Exactly. It's, it's still, cool. It's still it's well done. Um, and this is, you know, this is a story. This this doesn't add any new um, groundbreaking story structure or way to tell a story necessarily, but it it still makes it exciting and it was fun to, like you said it's fun to see the world it's incredibly funny with fantastic chemistry um and you know i just i i think that sometimes with movies like this you can you can stick to the old format and it can still be good and that's fine like that's totally okay it's the same with any cliche cliches exist for reasons because they work you know <laughs> for the most part and if you take those and you know add them to something new like you can strike gold. I think they struck gold with this movie because of you know, because of all of that. And again, stellar animation, and it just sets Pixar on this path of, you know, just a nonstop force. And after this, you know, is when they do Finding Nemo and um, and Incredibles and uh, and Cars Wally and Cars and Wally, <laughs> which really, you know. Aside from obviously cars being very boring, that's why they, I said cars. Yeah, the they <laughs> up they up their game in terms of how their movies look. Like all of those movies are so cinematic. Like even again, even cars as story wise, put it aside. The way that that movie looks and the way that each shot is like composed of animation, it's it just looks good. And Wally too. They have you know Wally. I would say is one of their more, um, you know break from the norm story-wise. I know, you know, you love it, but that that's why I love Monsters, Inc. Um, and it's one I can always go back to. I love early-era Pixar. It's fantastic. All right. Well, it was great talking with Monsters, Inc. for you. We're going to, uh, we're going to do something a little different now. Um, we're, we're, Getting closer and closer to awards season, and it's surprising that we're actually having one this year, <laughs> um, given everything that's going on and that's happened within you know the last you know ten months. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you if you've been keeping up with any of the award show stuff. Obviously, the Golden Globe nominations and the SAG award nominations came out a couple weeks ago. The Oscar shortlist came out recently. Um, and we're waiting on the nominations. We're a couple weeks out from that, but I want to know like. If you've been looking at anything, what some of your thoughts on it are, what you think's going to happen, like anything at all, what have you been thinking about in terms of award season? 
Um, I mean, I'll just come out and say, I'm never super huge into, like, these awards. Um, you know, uh, obviously, you know, like, I watch the Oscars every year to see who wins animated feature, and I kind of just dip. But, um... I don't know. I look at it and just like, um, especially in a year where I didn't really watch a whole lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, hell, I was so late to watch. I didn't watch Parasite till like August after it won the Oscar for best picture. Uh, I was floored. It was yeah. incredible. <laughs> um, but I don't. I mean, just like looking at this season, there's a lot of. I don't know. There's a lot of different kinds. I don't know. I don't know if I want to see different kinds of movies, but it's like. Have I seen any of them? No. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm in college. I'm kind of busy. But uh, yeah. mm-hmm. I just like, I, I like, I keep up with a lot of media stuff. And I just, I read a lot about these sort of things. And it's so interesting, just the, the diverse amounts of storytelling. And it's like, obviously, there's like really cool stories told every year. But when you come to like the peak of these sort of movies, it's like sometimes there's snubs. Um, and I think there were some snubs this year. But you know, I, I just look at it. I think it's a really interesting season compared to last year where it's like there's like one movie was basically it was like Parasite was like really like f- flowing full force. Everyone's like, this thing is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's got to win. Now, this year I'm seeing it and there's not really like that one movie that everyone's like, this is going to just sweep. Um, right. Yeah. And it, it's a really interesting landscape. I think it's it's interesting you say that because when I was looking at 2019, like that was one of the best movie years of the of the decade in my opinion. There were so many movies that were like we talked about Marriage Story, Toy Story 4, Parasite, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 1917 was like the front runner for a long time. But yeah, this year it was kind of like what are they going to do? What like back in, you know, the summer they extended the deadline for the Oscars as to what could qualify even movies that have been released just this month are going to be able to qualify. So like a movie called Jesus and the Black Messiah got yeah. released at Sundance and is um, earlier this month and is qualifying for Glo- Golden Globes and um, uh, and Oscars. I think it's interesting just because like I, it's so weird that they're still going through with it. Mm-hmm. Like just because like like and you're you know you're a shining example it's like not many people have seen a lot of these movies because like they were delayed or there was like a release issue so like kind of the front runner for right now or what it seems like this movie called Nomadland which just came out on Hulu I did hear about that yeah I that's, heard about that so that's a big one um, you know there are obviously Netflix movies like Mank and Trial of Chicago 7 um, and you know there's a whole conversation about like diversity and the Golden Globes but the Golden Globes are so full of shit anyway so like we mm-hmm. shouldn't can't really take a lot of that they can't really they don't really have a lot of credit but I, I just think I'm what I'm really curious to see is how the ceremony goes because like it's obviously all going to be virtual. Yeah. It's like, are there going to be people that just kind of like, I don't want to fucking do this. Like, are there going to be more people that don't show up this year? How are they doing it the same as the Emmys? Like, it's still so much is up in the air. And the fact that they're going through with it is kind of mind boggling to me. I think, I mean, they've had so, I don't want to say they've had like so much time since the Emmys, but I think it's sort of like they tried it out with the Emmys. And I mean, I watched most of the ceremony. I think mm-hmm. for what for what they were trying to do, I really don't think it like flopped. I think it worked. I think yeah. for, for what they really could do, I think it was pretty all right. I expect I kind of expect them to ramp it up to like 11 for the Oscars, really kind of just like go all out if they can. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I think it's interesting to look at all this in like in a global world or the the way the globe is right now. Because, you know, this this sort of award season, it's so, 
you know, like so many people look forward to this every year. Like not even just the people who make the movies. Like some people who just like to watch movies. They care mm-hmm. about this shit. And I mean, it's not even just this. Everything like from sports to I mean, this, not the Super Bowl, but like from a lot of sports to you know even movie theaters like being closed and like all these big ceremonies not being able to happen. Um, taking like arguably one of the most illustrious and f- famous ones. Um, Seeing, like you said, seeing how it's going to be done is going to be really interesting. Yeah, I think I, you, you touched on an interesting point about the Emmys. I, I watched most of the Emmys, and I agree. I think it was, uh, it for the most part, was successful. I mean, the some of the comedy and like jokes between like the presenters was a little yeah. wooden, but the you, know, you can't really you work with what you, with what you got, of course. But part of me thinks that this is kind of what the Oscars needs. Because I don't, I don't know if you've watched like most of the ceremonies like recently. Some of them the past couple years have been really awful. Like the one last year was kind of a train wreck. Like it, it's turning more like they were trying to. It was almost like they were trying to do what the Tonys can effortlessly do. Like if you watch like the Tonys, they, it's a very like yes, it's a very prestigious award, but it's also it's somewhat of a loose setting. Everyone's having fun. Everyone's happy to be there. The performances are obviously very theatrical because of the awards that they're given, but. Mm-hmm. They try and do that with the Oscars. Like last year, Janelle Monet came out and sang a song, and everyone's dancing to characters of movies that came out, and it was just so awkward and weird. And then Eminem came out, and that was a whole thing. See, and, like but, I didn't mind Eminem. It was it was really I think like because I didn't realize that when he actually won for Lose Yourself, he wasn't there. Um, right. I think it was cool, like in in retrospect, but it was definitely kind of awkward. I just I think that this year with just having a single host, um, I'm not I'm not sure if who they're or what they're gonna do if they're gonna have a host because they haven't had one for the past two years. Amy Poehler and Tina Fey are gonna do the Golden Globes, um, and so I think it's gonna be interesting to see if it's just gonna be the same format of just like have someone present the awards and then do the Zoom speeches, mm-hmm. and people can make them quick. People can uh, you know just say whatever they want because they obviously are going to know it's going to feel awkward um, as opposed to you know you're doing it in front of a computer screen in front of like you know a theater full of people um, I don't know it might make it flow better this year than it has in in previous years and I, it might make it feel like its own kind of kind of thing because like I said a lot of years past they've kind of felt like either the Grammys or the Tonys and just mm-hmm. like so I, I think maybe that this is the thing that's going to rejuvenate the awards season maybe it's th- the format I mean, something I'm thinking about is, like, what are they going to do? Because, I, I, like, you, you say, like, they try to make it, like, the Tonys or the Grammys or all these, like, performances. I think I think having, like, the best original song performances are kind of important. Because I no, think... Yeah, I, no, yeah, no, no. I'm not saying that. Yeah. No, I think what I'm... Just, like, going off of what you're saying, I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how they're going to do that. If they're going to do it, like, they're going to just pre-record it somewhere in, like, a studio, blah, 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 blah. Um... I don't know, that's something I'm looking at. Because every year when they do the best original songs, sometimes they can be, like, really like really cool and really powerful. And, I mean, some like when Elton John performed mm-hmm. a couple years ago for Rocketman, that was just fun to listen to. Like, when Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper did Shallow, um, it was kind of, like, the staging was a little awkward with the way they were sitting yeah. at the piano. But, it's, I mean, I, I love the song. I, it was overplayed as hell. But it's, like, it was, it was a yeah. powerful moment. And I think taking... It's, like... They could really rejuvenate just like the core of these Oscars, which is just celebrating the best of cinema and film and celebrating all these people and their accomplishments. Um, 
Yeah, I agree. I've always, I mean, I've, let me just say, I've always liked the best original song performance. That's not that's, what, yeah, that's not what I was yeah. trying to say. I was, no, I was just thinking, like, when, just in terms of, like, in between, you know, acts and, and yeah. um, you know, presenting, like, that's how they opened the show was Janelle Monet coming out, and I love Janelle Monet, but it was just so, it was so strange. I think what would be kind of cool for the best original song category is that if they, because they did this for, I think it was a, like, a telethon or a, like, a, a charity thing, I don't know, or, like, earlier last year when we were all in quarantine, like, uh, they had like certain people perform in their like um, their like home studios. Like they had like Sean Mendes and his wife like perform a song. Mm-hmm. Um, like Keith Urban did like a, something in his like like that would actually be kind of cool. Like get whoever's nominated, whatever the songs are gonna be, and have them do it in their own like home, like a little setting, and just like playing by themselves, like an unplugged kind of thing. Like I think that would be kind of cool. That'd be fun. It'd be something. So we'll, you know, we still got a lot of time. Um, the Oscars are, are going to be in uh, in April, and the Golden Globes are coming up at the end of this month in February. So we'll see what happens, and uh, I don't really know who's going to be taking home awards this year, but I, the Golden Globes will, will set the precedent, I guess. We shall see. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, it's like, I mean, I haven't... There are some films that I've been looking at that I'm really intrigued to see. Mm-hmm. I don't like. Is there anything that you're looking at this season that just like you think is gonna be sort of? It's gonna be the film that like if something is gonna be kind of like a leader and is gonna just not like sweep but take home the most awards. Like which one do you think is kind of a front runner for that? The two that I've been thinking about a lot just because of their positions in terms of their release and you know what the movies are about the no, Nomadland I already mentioned because that was that's the one that I think is going to be the one that people think of the most artistically and humanistic film because it's a very I still have yet to see it I'm very excited to see it um it's like people were saying Chloe Zhao the director is probably a shoe in for best director mm-hmm. um but the other one that I think is probably going to be a big contender is Mank, David Fincher's movie about Herman Mankiewicz, which is a great movie. Um, I just think that that's the one. It's just interesting because it's, you know, it's a movie about Hollywood. It's about the making of Citizen Kane. It's about the, that golden age. I think Amanda Seyfried is probably either going to be nom- is going to be nominated and may win for best um, supporting actress, which is a very deserving win. She's fantastic in that movie. Um, and you know, I'm just I'm I'm curious to s- those are the two that are in my head. I'm like, oh, what is going? Which of those is going to win? What are they going to take home? Um, because I think they kind of. Like they're combating against like between those two best director and best picture, I think are the two like which is going to go to which because mm-hmm. you know Chloe Zhao has been in a lot of talks. David Fincher has never won before. He probably should have won for the Social Network, but he never, but he didn't. Um, and you know, it's that's about like I said, it's about Hollywood. It's a movie about a movie. Um, so I think those are the two that really stick out in my mind. I think other nominations are going to be like Trial of Chicago Seven. Uh, I think that. Um, I, I don't think Sia's music is going to get a lot of nominations. <laughs> Hot take. Um, but yeah, I think I think Mank and Nomadland are the two that are going to be the, the front runners, and at least in terms of our discussions in the coming mm-hmm. uh, weeks. Uh, I think that's all. Do you have any uh, other thoughts? I think that's all I got. Um, I was if you, just if you say, don't, it's fine. <laughs> I was I had one thought. Like I said, I always. Think about animated picture. It's literally just gonna be Souls gonna run away with it this year. It's gonna sweep. It's gonna win Golden Globes. It's yeah. gonna win. Do you think it's like gonna be Soul versus Onward? 
No, honestly, because last time Disney Trolls World Tour, <laughs> no, uh, it's, it's really punching above its way. Uh, last time Disney had like these conflicting releases. It was like when Moana and Zootopia were both up in the same uh, year, yeah. and everyone was like, "Oh, I want Moana to win," and but Zootopia was the better movie. I mean, I don't I think Onward's Zootopia. gonna get a nom perfectly. Uh, personally, at mm-hmm. least I I mean there there were so few quality animated films this year. There was one called Wolf Walkers that I think came out on yeah, Netflix uh-huh. that was really interesting. I watched it because people were like going crazy. Um, but I it's just a personal thing for me. It's like I, I like keeping up with the animated films of the year because again it's like kind of my thing. But um, my my prediction uh, is just I think uh, I mean the Academy and like all these sort of the Associated foreign press or whatever the hell they love, you know, Disney and they love Pixar and I mean for it's sure, deservedly so in most of the time. But that's my that's my call. Uh, uh, my my yeah, soul's gonna just kind of sweep for animated <laughs> features. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Um, well, thank you so much, Moss, for talking about Monsters Inc. and uh, the uh, award season. Uh, it's great to have you on, my dude. Thank you for having me, dude. It's been like a year and a half. I've been waiting. I know. I I'm finally got my shot. <laughs> Absolutely, man. You're welcome back anytime. I hope. Yeah, it was fun. This was fun. This is a lot of fun. I'm, yeah. I'm happy I was able to come on. That does it for this episode of Frankly I Love Movies. Thanks so much to Moss for coming on. If you want more Frankly I Love Movies content, you can check us out on Facebook at Frankly I Love Movies, on Twitter at Frankly Podcast, and you can follow me on Letterboxd at BigWalls21 for all new and recent movie reviews. Frankly I Love Movies is part of the Orion Valley Productions Podcast Network, where you can listen to other podcasts such as Ravnica Avengers, our Real Play D&D podcast, and Tea Time with Titans, an Attack on Titan recap podcast. New episodes of that are out every single Wednesday. And finally, tune in in two weeks for another special episode talking about a special movie with a special guest. Until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies.